1: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbicast, the only baseball podcast in the world who thinks that the London series is maybe treason. I'm Jake Mintz, and that's Jordan Schusterman. And didn't we fight a war over this?
0: Yeah, it's weird to just head on back and then play baseball. Uh, but I like it. I don't know. To me, it's it's almost establishing establishing victory. You know, we're not going back there to play rounders, and I feel like that's a big win.
1: Great point.
0: Uh, we are going to talk about the London series on this here podcast. That'll be after the break. We are going to begin the first half of the show, drafting the biggest surprises of the first half. I know we're not quite at the all-star break, but Boo! we are almost Boo! Boo! at the, Oh, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh! Whoa, Jake, he, he, he surprised me. He stunned me. Uh, This is really the middle of the season. You know, we treat the All-Star break like it is a half. That has never basically ever been the case. (laughs) And so since we are arriving at the 80 game mark, we figured this would be a good time to draft uh, five surprises each. Later on, we'll talk about the London series. Wander Franco has been benched. He is in timeout. We are going to review the MLB draft combine in whatever weird form it currently exists. We are going to preview the first Showdown between our two favorite teams, the Mariners and the Orioles, before finishing, as always, with the good, the bad, and the ugla. But Jake, uh, before we begin our draft, uh, what inspired you to, to do this as, as a, as a form to, to recap the first half of the season? And are there any parameters uh, for this draft?
1: There are none. Uh, we enter every season with expectations about players, about teams, about the league itself. And every year, those expectations, some of them, are shattered and they are reformed. And I think it is important to revisit why and when our expectations were wrong so that in the future, maybe our expectations and our predictions are a little bit better. Mm. And so today, we will each pick the five most surprising things from the first half of the season. It can be a trend. It can be a player. It could be a team. Most of mine are teams and players, but you can really go anywhere with this wherever you want. What, cool. You want the first pick? Sure, I'll take. Why the don't first you? Pick. You had a worse 2022 than I did, so you take the first pick.
0: Uh, sure. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I feel like we've done drafts before where you've said the exact opposite, but that's fine. Um, I will take the first pick, and I am going to listen. I mean, there's very simple ways to do this. Who had the highest expectations, and who is in the worst position? And I'm going to go with something that I, I actually just tweeted, and I'm still marveling at it. And it is the combination. Of the Pirates and the Cardinals first half of the season for the, for the Pirates to now have two multiple stretches of being one of the three worst teams in baseball and to still be so many games ahead of the St. Louis Cardinals who have not been that injured. I'm going to combine that into this too, where the Cardinals have basically had the players that they expected to have, and it has not mattered. They suck so much. And while the Cardinals were not necessarily projected to be as good as some other teams that we might be talking about in this draft, I think that combined with how the rest of the NL Central has gone, which maybe that will be a separate pick, is still stunning to me. Mathematically, looking at how bad the Pirates have been have been in May and now during this epic losing streak, and it just doesn't matter. None of it computes. And it continues to stun me every time I open the standings, the Cardinals being this bad and the Pirates also being this bad. And so far ahead of the Cardinals are my first pick.
1: Great pick, Jordan. I had on my board the complete capitulation of the Cardinals way,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: I think is too similar to what you picked. So I'm actually going to cross that off my board. Got it. My first pick is Bryce Harper. Mm. Bryce Harper had his elbow redone in November of 2022. And we were not expecting to see Bryce Harper until like now, right? Right before the All-Star break, maybe even after it. And instead, Bryce Harper came roaring back a medical marvel and debuted in early May against all odds. Maybe we never should have doubted the man who has wowed us for the better part of a decade, but we did because we trust medicine. But Bryce Harper said, take your medicine up your pipe and shove it. I'm going to come back. Tommy John or no Tommy John. And he has been Bryce Harper since he got back, more or less. Maybe not as you know incredible as you'd hope, but 124 OPS plus for a guy who had his elbow rewired less than a year ago. Tip my cap to Bryce. Like, He's did you really think he was going to be back? Like, did you think he was going to be back at this point? No. Like, that's a surprise. <laughs> no. Right how he's even doing
0: is, is almost secondary. So, um, no, I, I think that's a, I think that's a great one. I think, um, and that's, that's related to I think my second pick in, in a slightly different way. And I almost could have ended up lumping these together. It's also a theme I've kind of launched and that is the return of a superstar. And in some ways the lack of uh, boost that it has given the San Diego Padres because Jake, I don't know if you've been paying attention to Fernando Tatis Jr. uh, over the last month, but he has looked like the best player in baseball in June, and it has not really mattered all that much for the Padres. I know they just avoided the mop against the Giants, but I am taking the combination of Fernando Tatis Jr. looking like Fernando Tatis Jr. since he's come back, and the Padres still being multiple games under 500. And when you look at the projections too, I mean, maybe we'll talk about the Mets at some point in this segment, but the Padres were the team that even with the lack of depth, if they were healthy, I know they've dealt with some Machado injuries. I just thought this team would be great. And it's, they're just not, they're just not great. They're not even good. Uh, And I cannot quite uh, wrap my mind around that. So that is going to be my second pick is Tatis doing what you could have possibly hoped. And it's not
1: mattering that much. I'm going to take a Tatis related thing as well. I'm going to take his incredible outfield defense. Mm. See, this doesn't this much of a surprise, but it is a a good pick and worthy of talking about on a podcast. So go ahead. (laughs) He is in the 95th percentile of outs above average in right field. Even if you thought Fernando Tatis Jr. would eventually adjust to the outfield, I don't think any of us expected him to figure it out to this extent this quickly. Yes, he is an outrageous athlete, but there is, you know, tracking balls in the outfield is not simple. We saw Jazz Chisholm early in the season in center field, who was a career infielder moving to the outfield, look incredibly stupid on a number of plays. And I understand that Jazz's numbers are actually a little bit better than that, whatever. But Tatis has just looked like a great outfielder the entire time. And even more than that, his arm in the outfield is more entertaining than his arm at shortstop somehow. So I'm going to take Fernando Tatis Jr. being in the outfield. I actually have another Tatis thing on my board that <laughs> okay. I'm just going to say because neither of us are going to draft another one. Mm-hmm. And that is him not being booed that much.
0: Mm. That has surprised I mean, you.
1: We have gotten the, like, he's a cheater or steroids chance where he's dancing along. But I feel like we haven't seen any video of that in like a month now. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I think we've we've moved past it again. It's like the when the Padres are such a mess, Fans are less even focused on like there was a version where the Padres were at first and he was tearing it up and they were now this new not villain because they're not necessarily as hateable as these other teams, but he could have been the face of a team that was beating other people's asses and that's not happening. And so it's just like, oh, yeah, Tatis, you're back. You, your team still sucks. Uh sucks for you. <laughs> that's that's a good one. Um, I'm going to take another NOS thing and that is that and I'm going to take advantage of the fact that this might not be true for that much longer. But Jake Mintz, it's June 23rd, and the Giants and D-backs are ahead of both the Dodgers and Padres. I uh, This maybe even should have been the first pick, uh, <laughs> I would say, because when you consider the strength that we viewed of the relative NL Central and the Cardinals and how skeptical we were of the pitching, this is like just... I don't even know what you, what you could have told me would, would have needed to happen for this to both be true. It was one thing to have the D-backs off to a hot start, but I, I'm still still trying to kind of wrap my mind around it. And what's fun about it too is it's like, I don't even feel like we'd fully process the D-backs, the D-backs by the time the Giants won nine in a row or whatever. And so now I'm caught between trying to solve both of these teams and what the hell's going on here. It's fun. It's going to make the rest of the season very interesting. But I'm compelled now, as far as the NL postseason picture, we've been so focused on, oh, my God, could the NL East get three, four teams in? Uh, clearly, we're looking in the wrong place and <laughs> at the wrong coast. So that's something I'm, I'm fascinated by the rest of the season.
1: That's just East Coast bias, bro.
0: Clearly. Clearly, it clearly was. I feel horribly uh, wrong about
1: that. <laughs> so that is, that is definitely qualifies as a surprise. I'm going to take Zach Neto. Mm, okay. Who is Zach Neto, Jordan? Zach Neto was a first-round pick in 2022, 13th overall by the Los Angeles Angeles of Anahum. They took him out of Campbell University. He's a shortstop. He has a leg kick the size of the Eiffel Tower. He's a pretty good defensive shortstop. Zach Neto posted a has already posted a one eleven OPS plus in the big leagues this season. For anybody, let alone a guy with an incredibly complicated leg kick, to go from drafted in July of twenty two to above average hitter as a shortstop as a twenty two year old in the big leagues less than a year later is remarkable. We had gotten good reviews on Neto after he got into pro ball, but I don't think we anticipated him being up now. And we definitely did not anticipate him hitting this well now. And even after they called him up, it was like, oh, maybe he can inject a little bit of life and give them some some, some stability defensively at shortstop. And he's been an above average hitter, which is remarkable and incredibly impressive.
0: That's a, that's a great pick. Yeah, I had a couple rookie related things on here and maybe maybe I'll pick one just because I feel like we haven't talked about him enough and I'll just combine it with something else. I'm going to go with the combination of Yuri Perez already being one of the best pitchers in the league and Sandy Alcantara not even close to being one of the <laughs> best pitchers in the league and it maybe in combination how this Marlins season has succeeded in this form. Because so much of what we expected about them as they currently sit 10 games over 500 and in second place in the NL East was like, all right, well, they're not going to like hopefully a rise is good and you have to bounce back. And that's obviously happened. But we were expecting huge strides forward from this pitching staff. And Perez was sort of part of that conversation, but not necessarily who we would be relying on. And yet, here we are, and Lazardo's been decent, and Braxton Garrett's been pretty good, but Sandy still has an ERA over five, uh, you know, halfway through the season. And the bullpen's like pretty good, it's okay. And it's Yuri Perez. Yuri Perez has come up, he's born in 2003, and he's got a 1.54 ERA through eight starts. He's unbelievable. I don't think we're talking about him nearly enough, but I I think the Marlins in general certainly deserve representation in this draft. And there are a lot of things going on with that team, which is both Sandy being bad and jazz being a non-factor that I think belong in this, in this conversation.
1: Right. I think I'm not going to draft this, but Louisa rise tickling 400. Anybody tickling 400 deserves to be mentioned. (laughs) This is a surprise. Yes. It is certainly a surprise. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to take Alec Manoa now. Mm, Yeah, has to be. Uh, Unfortunately, Manoa was one of the best pitchers in the world last year. He finished third in the AL Cy Young. He finished 17th in the MVP voting ahead of Alex Bregman Mm -hmm. and Yandy Diaz Mm -hmm. and Dylan Cease. He was the I believe he finished second in the AL Cy Young amongst pitchers if you don't count Shohei Otani, 196 innings last year with a 2.24 ERA 180 strikeouts and this year my man just drove off a cliff 58 innings pitched 6.36 ERA leading the league in walks still I think he hasn't pitched in like 3 weeks and I believe <laughs> that's true Still leading the league in walks, there is black ink on his baseball reference page. Oh Let me just no. check this.
0: that's not a good sign. That's not uh, what you want. Let's see. That is still that is he's still technically tied for the AL lead in walks. Jack Flaherty has passed him, but yeah, uh, tied with Kopech, and he is not pitched in yeah three three weeks now. <laughs> um, so that I mean that kind of tells you all you need to know. That's why he's down in Florida, presumably figuring his shit out. Um, yeah, that's a great one. Probably should have been one of the first picks. Uh, I'm going to go on the offensive side for mine and do Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu and the non Jordan Astros offense. Because I looked at this group and we said, oh my God, like this feels like overkill, right? When you consider, <laughs> and even knowing Altuve was out to start the year, and Altuve has been pretty good since he got back but Jose Abreu being banned to this degree and it looked like he was turning a corner a couple weeks ago but now he's back in like a 2 for 20 stretch him combined with Bregman combined with Kyle Tucker being worse combined with Peña regressing not shocking it's just not a good lineup it's just like straight up not a good lineup and uh and it looks especially bad in you know in contrast to the Rangers who they're chasing but the the Abreu struggling to this degree and the Astros offense just not at all being remotely intimidating is a very new feeling. And when your comes back, whenever that is, that will change at least to some degree, but it is not anywhere close to what I thought this lineup was going to be at all. And, and it might end up costing them. Like they can't, they can't coast into the postseason the way they could in years past with a good offense and a great pitching staff. And, and we'll see if that actually costs them a spot in the postseason.
1: It is bizarre, right? Cause when your favorite team is playing the Astros and you see them on the schedule, there's an element of fear and reverence that bubbles up inside your chest. And then when the game starts and you, they flash the lineup graphic on screen and you're like, ah, shit, we got to face these guys <laughs> and that guy and this guy. And this guy's going to hit two balls into the Crawford boxes and that guy's going to hit one in the right field. And you're just worried. You don't worry right now, especially with Yorda out of the lineup. They are not a formidable group. And mm-hmm. it is a bizarre feeling to see people in that uniform and think, oh, This pitcher can take care of that.
0: Yeah, it is. It is uh, very, very, very strange. But hey, not complaining. (laughs) Uh,
1: Okay. Uh, I think you have one more pick. I do. I'm going to ask. This is how all drafts work. You ask your opponents who they're going to take so that you can take someone different. Are you going to take a Reds related thing with your last pick or no?
0: No, no. No. I could I should, but I feel
1: like we've talked about the Reds so much I've I've grown used to it so it is not surprising me anymore. I am gonna take a Reds thing then. Okay. Besides the Cincinnati Reds surprising everybody with how good they've been, I am going to take Ellie de la Cruz, but specifically, Mm. I am going to take the extent to which Ellie de la Cruz is faster than everyone else in the league. He is not just fast or really fast or the fastest. He is the fastest player in the league by half a foot per second. To put that into context, he is at 30.9 feet per second. Bobby Witt Jr. is second at 30.4. And there are only eight players above 30. Mm-hmm. He is so much faster than anybody else, than anybody else we've ever seen. Corbin Carroll, who has made all these highlights, right, is almost a full foot per second behind L.A. De La Cruz.
0: Uh, he said it himself, he's the fastest man in the world. Forget the league. He's yeah. um, self-proclaimed fastest man in the world, which he said post-game, I believe, in Kansas City. But I've been meaning to say, I heard him say that before his debut. I remember watching him sit in the dugout uh, with Jonathan India and Matt McClain. And India was kind of ribbing both of them like, oh, who's faster? Who's this? Because all of them know that McLean and him are tight. And Ali said, he, he asked him, like, oh, are you fast and He's like, fast and McLean's like, I'm the fastest man in the world. <laughs> like, I heard him say that. So I'm glad that that also made it to the public space. Uh, yeah, that's a great one. That's a great one. There's a lot of things that are shocking about Ali De La Cruz. Not that he's talented and good and productive, but like, like viscerally watching it, there are some shocking things. And so I think that's a good that's a good pick.
1: If you go to the Sprint Speed leaderboard on Baseball Savant, Mm -hmm. You just see his dot stand out from the pack in a very incredible way. He is not the fastest man in the world, but he's certainly the fastest man in baseball. Yeah,
0: that's a great one.
1: Um, Okay, my last
0: one, I think, is going to be the Minnesota Twins having an elite pitching staff and an absolute dog shit offense. And I know there's done first place, and I know Byron Buxton just hit two very long home runs, Ah, uh, the Byron Buxton situation probably deserves some attention, as he is physically unable to play the outfield, but very physically able to hit balls
1: 460 feet multiple times in one game. It's a rare disorder, Jordan. It's like an episode of House. Sir, Doctor, I'm I'm able to do this, but not this. What do I have? Oh, you have Buxtonia. But this is so
0: backwards from the Twins teams that we have seen succeed in recent uh, history, like the Bomba squad, uh, all year they've had really a top three pitching staff alongside Tampa Bay and Houston. It's you know, gotten a little bad, but after the Joe Ryan performance yesterday, he's been sensational. I think he's been he's been even better than Sonny Gray, but him and Sonny Gray and Pablo Lopez, I know the ERA's up, but the, the FIP is still way down. Uh, and Bailey Ober has been back to awesome. And the bullpen with Duran, like, the, the, the Twins turning that into their strength, also in the year after Wes Johnson left, is great. That also it makes it uh, very, very funny to me. Uh, and and yeah, there's obviously a lot with Ale Central. That's, but I actually don't know how much of that is really that surprising. But that, that part of the Twins, I have to acknowledge for my last pick, or maybe we took too many picks.
1: No, we each took the right amount of picks. Just other things that were on my board that I want to mention. Kenley Jansen, mm. heading into the year there was a big narrative around how would the pitchers who take too long adjust to the pitch clock. Mm -hmm. And we were worried about Kenley Jansen specifically, and he's been better Mm -hmm. and his velocity is up two ticks. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, uh, okay, sure. Like I'm shocked by that. Mm -hmm. Not just that he's been fine, that he's adjusted to it, but that he's been like a better version of himself. That's been very surprising to me.
0: Yeah. That's a good one. I mean, I you know which Rays hitter? I thought about taking Taylor Walls, except he's kind of kind of gone uh, in the toilet offensively recently. But like his first month or so was completely incomprehensible. There are a few other offensive performances that are probably worthy of of discussion. I don't I'll know, maybe. Three. Yo, Siri. Yeah, again, Rayleigh. Whatever. Um, on the negative side, like Trey Turner, just. Sucking like that one, that one, um, especially, you know, coming out of the WBC, that one certainly would qualify as a surprise in the disappointing category. Um, certainly some Phillies things that I think definitely fit, but, uh, but we'll cut it there. Uh, if we forgot any obvious ones, there are some other standings related ones that certainly deserve attention, but I think this was a fun kind of general summary of, of what has shocked us the most in the early going anything, final thoughts on that before we take a break, Jake Vince. No, no. Let's do it. We are going to take a quick break. And when we return, we will preview the London series between the Cubs and the Cardinals and do other fun baseball podcasting things because that is our job.
1: This is former PGA Tour winner Smiley Kaufman, host of The Smiley Show, a XM podcast. You want to know what I love about golf? I get to talk to some really cool people. I get to walk the fairways of the best courses in the world with the best players in the world. And I get to share it with you every single week. Listen to The Smiley Show right now on Stitcher, Pandora, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Smiley, S-M-Y-L-I-E. And welcome back to Baseball BarbaCast. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And bruv in it, mate.
0: Indeed, sir. Bruv, we
1: are ready to talk ball. Talk
0: ball, Jake, uh, because baseball will be being played in London Stadium this weekend on Saturday and Sunday. Two ball games, two matches, (laughs) as they will say, in the neighboring neighborhoods between the Cubs and the Fixtures, Oh, Fixtures. Oh, that's great. That's a, that's a way better term. I like that. Yeah, fixtures. Um, The Cubs and the Cardinals. Is this the marquee matchup that the league may have hoped for? Eh. At least the Cubs have a positive run differential. The 36 and 38 Cubs will play the 31 and 44 Cardinals. Let's review what happened the last time we had games in London, Jake, because this is the second time we were supposed to have this matchup in 2020. I don't know if you saw there was a pandemic, but now we're back. Cardinals and Cubs are going to get to play. But in 2019, we saw the Yankees and Red Sox uh, hop across the pond and deliver one of the messier combinations uh, duos of baseball games that we have seen at the time. Now, I have to say, it probably didn't help that that's peak juice ball, like just beyond juice ball, even even relative to, you know, as people have uh, conspired regarding the Field of Dreams game and stuff like that, like... This was really when the ball was flying like absolute nuts. And when you combine that with the goofy dimensions of London Stadium, which most notably includes, I think, the most shallow center field wall of any game, major league game that you will see this year. Right and left field isn't like completely uh, unrealistic, but center field is especially close. Uh, We had 17 to 13 and 12 to 8 that first game teams combining for 37 hits that second game teams combining for 28 and of course 20 runs what do you remember uh, about those two games and kind of what it felt like watching those games
1: i remember the f- <laughs> the first game the 17 to 13 game because the yankees go out there in the top of the 1st and they put up 6 runs on <laughs> Rick Porcello and we're like man Porcello just didn't have it today like, you know, jet lag, whatever. And then the Yankees go out of the field in the bottom of the first, and Tanaka's out there. Mm-hmm. And the Red Sox put up six on him in the bottom of the first. Remember him, by the way?
0: He was awesome. Oh, he was
1: great. And it's six to six after one inning. And we're like, what the hell is going on over there? It
0: was. It was. I mean, again, for those more recent comparisons, for those that are. I mean, it was. It was like the Mexico City situation, although it wasn't an elevation problem. My favorite thing about this box score is Nestor Cortez coming in and just wearing it before he was good. This is before. This is, I guess, the first uh, Nestor stint. Although technically, yeah, it's it's confusing because he then ends up on the Mariners in 2020. But yes, this is when he just is not. He's just not a good. Not good. He's just not good. And he comes, he's coming in for mop-up work, gives up a couple homers. Um, so many pitchers, what we had like 18 combined pitchers in this game, and then another sixteen in the second game, uh, with Stephen Tarpley against uh, Erod. It was just a total mess.
1: And I have to say, no notes, no feedback, do the same thing again. <laughs> Run if it back. If we're trying to go grow the game in new places around the world, no one wants a pitching duel. No, like just give and, me ding dongs totally. And
0: I think that uh, this is exactly what the Cardinals offense needs, arguably, exactly what the Cubs offense needs. And if we get that again with Goldie and Arenado, and you know, if like say a Suzuki goes, like that, that'll be great. Now, the, let's get to the obvious part. Well, this is not what about what happens for these two teams, right? Well, what yeah, is the true. point of this in the
1: first place? <laughs> just one more thing about the 17 to 13 game. Okay. I just want you to hop inside the shoes of a British baseball fan, or even just a British person living in London who got some tickets to go see this weird thing happening at the stadium, right? You show up and you get 17 to 13. You're drinking a couple beers, throwing down some pints, and every two minutes there's a home run and you get to be like, hey, that is the the whole point of
0: this. You're so right, except here's the thing about that game. It was five hours long. And now it won't be five hours long. <laughs> and so I think that will help because I remember even with the fireworks, by the end, it felt, especially because that first game, the Yankees put up a lot more to the point where it was seventeen to six. And so at that point, you're not necessarily enjoying the fixture. <laughs> and so um, that, I would say, <laughs> well, I imagine the pitch clock. Will help the second game. It was four to two through six, and then the Yankees put up a nine spot in the top of the seventh with no homers, I believe, too. So this is all. I mean, also to be fair, like some bad pitchers pitching in these games. Like I know we mentioned Tanaka and whatever, but this was not exactly you know a who's who of like an all star bullpen coming in to to keep the game close. We weren't sending our best, no. No, we weren't, uh, which is, you know, might also be true in this case with some of the pitching performances for Chicago and St. Louis. But to your point, what is the point? Why do we, why are these games existing? We love this, not because we specifically care about growing the game in England, although, of course, we do. We want the game to go everywhere. We just want to see baseball games in interesting new places. And for that reason, I'm kind of bummed it's not in a different stadium, right? I wish this was in Wembley. I wish this was in, you know, at the Fulham Stadium with 200-foot fences. Like, I want to get weirder than just running back what we did in 2019, you know? Like, that, that part of me feels like we could get even goofier, but the point is, Yes, you are intending to grow the sport. Is it ever going to be to the point where um, the people in London love the Jacksonville Jaguars? Probably not, but that's fine. It's still cool to see different games in different places, and I love it, and, I, and I'm excited to watch.
1: Congrats to you for dropping a Craven Cottage reference <laughs> here on Baseball Barbercast.
0: Uh, if you thought I remembered, it was called Craven Cottage. You're giving me too much credit. Anyway, London series, This, listen, I'm a let's cut it off here because they will probably give us plenty to talk about on Monday. So we are just going to punt that conversation to Monday.
1: One last thing though, uh, coming off the heels of a great, great Britain showing in the WBC. I wonder That's if that true. increases. That's true. And level. I know
0: there's some cries for the, for the Cardinals to call up Matt Coperniac, a British born Cardinals prospect who has been playing quite well. Uh, in AAA, so maybe they can make that happen and get Team Britain some some representation. All right, let's move on to someone who will not be playing baseball games in London or in America this weekend. Jake Wander Franco, our, our you know the 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 prodigal son, the greatest prospect since you know or after before Victor Wembanyama, this man is not going to be playing baseball this weekend. Because of what Kevin Cash is referring to as, uh, quote, dealing with the challenges of being a major league player. I like this quote particularly because on the field, Wander has not really dealt with the challenges of being a major league player. He has, he's 22 and he's one of the best players in baseball. He was on track to you know, be in the MVP conversation if Shohei Otani didn't exist. Um, but it seems like there's some issues off the field. What is your takeaway from this?
1: I trust Kevin Cash here. And I think as fans, it is understandable whenever a player is benched to have some skepticism about the reasons why. Considering the history of baseball and how uncomfortable those in power coaches and management are with young players, particularly young Latino and Black players, expressing themselves. And, you know, a lot of the discourse around Acuna a couple years ago falls into this category a little bit for me. The reason that I trust Kevin Cash here is how he has handled other Wander Franco things so far this year. When Wander flipped the ball up to himself in the game and made every old person watching it lose their minds... Kevin Cash backed him up. He said, this doesn't matter. Wander's a great player for him to be at his best. He needs to feel comfortable being himself on the field and we support Wander and I wish I was good enough to do that. And so what that tells me is that whatever these disciplinary things are behind the scenes, have some weight to them, have some heft. And it is possible that like a 22-year-old kid is being immature and maybe not handling himself to the best you know, to, to the highest extent, and he needs to understand that that's not okay. Now, does it hurt the Rays on the field for a couple of days? Yeah, sure. But like the Rays aren't stupid, right? This organization clearly knows what it's doing and they have done, you know, whatever beep bop, boot bop, cost benefit analysis of this situation. And they've determined that trying to teach Wander, who's going to be in their organization for the next decade, a lesson that he's going to maybe be able to grow from is a good thing.
0: Totally agree. It's hard not to look at it and say, would they do this if they weren't about to play the worst team in the league and were up by five games? Probably not, but it doesn't matter because to your point, like it's part of the calculus, right? They said, we can show them a lesson. We can do this. And did it maybe end up costing them at a close loss to the worst team in baseball last night uh, against Kansas City? Maybe. Uh, but I don't think they care that much. I think they are because to your point too, right? Like they've already invested in wander big time and he is going to be in that. He's the guy. And so they need to do whatever they can to kind of keep that on the tracks. Obviously it's not serious to the point where this needs to be a bigger deal than it is. So it's curious. It's interesting. I'm sure people want to make more of it than it is, but I'm with you. I, I trust that they're making the right decision. And if he's (laughs) getting a little loose off the field, like that wouldn't shock me. And you know, it's, it's okay. It's
1: not, it's not, it's not the end of the
0: world.
1: There's a really difficult balance to achieve with your best players. And I think we were talking about this in regards to A-Rod, right? Alex Rodriguez is one of the most self-centered people we've ever interacted with, but of course he's self-centered. He hit 696 home runs. If I hit 696 home runs, I would have a very high opinion of myself too. Mm -hmm. And every superstar in baseball, every player in baseball to an extent has a high opinion of themselves, has a lot of self-confidence to convince themselves they can succeed at this level. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, balancing that with being a schmuck around your coworkers is a difficult thing to do. Mm -hmm. And it is clear that in this situation, the scale's tipped a little bit.
0: And by the way, you know, as he sort of vaguely alluded to, we don't know exactly what happened, but he is in some ways referring to Wander, not dealing, dealing with struggling on the field and picking that off off the field. <laughs> it's hard not to notice that he struck out three times on Wednesday, which he never, ever, ever does. Right? Like <laughs> and it's quite possible that Wander Franco, in his rare moments of failure on a baseball field, which he has had very few of since he was like 11 is not dealing with it in the most mature way in the way that we do see other players also have issues with. So it's interesting. I think it would, uh, like you said, I trust the Rays here. Wander will be back. He'll be one of the best players in baseball, not too worried about it. But we did want to address it.
1: And I trust that he'll mature. Yeah. I don't think this is that big of a deal either because we were idiots when we were 22. And we would have been even bigger idiots when we were 22 if the world was freaking out uh, about how good we were at a sport, and I had just been given 200 million dollars. Yes, this is par for the course. You know, yep. Bryce Harper was a schmuck at 22. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't the best teammate in the world, and he grew up and he learned from it. I think it's important to remember that, like where Wander is right now and his development as a player and a person, he's fine.
0: Yep. 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 Yep.
1: All good. All right,
0: a couple more topics before we get to Good, Bad, ugly. Quickly wanted to touch on the MLB draft combine, which I guess is technically still taking place right now, uh, although the televised, scouted portion, I believe, has concluded. This is the third time the MLB has put on the MLB. Oh, my God, that's not what I meant. I apologize. Ooh. Please, I don't know if we need that to be edited out, but it is my Ooh. least favorite thing in the world. I got caught up. I, I just wanted to... Very make very clear. No, I wasn't half- sure if I was about to say the MLB draft combine or MLB has. I, I'm so sorry. I Cancel please forgive him. me. Okay. Anyway, MLB has been putting this on for three years now. And the point of it is whatever, you know what a draft combine is. I assume if you're listening to this, but the main purpose is to kind of in the way that MLB is done in a lot of ways for better or for worse is consolidating and making the one of the processes of baseball more efficient and useful for teams. And there's some things that are bad about that. And there's also some things that are undeniably good about that. And in this case, it is getting a lot of the best amateur players in one place for a week to not just take BP and take infield and throw as hard as they can from the outfield and whatever it's to actually meet with the teams. And that's really the main thing you need to know is if you've turned on the combine and you've said, this is not the most enthralling or enthralling television ever, um, all the important things are happening in the suites where players get to actually go sit face to face, not on Zoom or not in random situations around their high school and they can say or, or college. And they can actually be asked the exact questions by the teams that are looking to get to know them. And like that is just a huge part of this process. And while it is cool to watch, you know, 18-year-olds hit balls 450 feet in big league stadiums and on a you know Wednesday afternoon, <laughs> the important things going on here are mostly happening behind closed doors. Can we televise that part? Yeah. Yes, please. That would be so much more interesting. Of course, they're doing interviews on network too, but uh, it's cool. I mean, you know, I love the draft and it is helpful. Like I watch it just it's just to kind of see the physicality and see the swings on some of these kids, especially for the high schoolers, because, you know, college, we're used to it. We watch them every weekend. But the high school kids, even now in 2023, most of the footage you're getting for them, especially in the spring is through a chain link fence from some parent's cell phone. You know, and so that it's nice to be able to see them on MLB Network just taking hacks. Like, I I,
1: that that is helpful and and cool for someone who is a draft orc like me, Jordan. Big weekend coming up as our two favorite teams, the Seattle Mariners and the Baltimore Orioles, will be facing off in a three game set in Baltimore at Camden Yards. The Mariners at 36 and 37, the Orioles at 45 and 28. Oh, baby, nine games up, I guess, 10 games up. Yikes. Oh, that way is ahead. A, yeah, that's, that that's, that's is
0: no, tough. No, no shock there.
1: Um, so
0: this is the first time they will be playing. Uh, and <laughs> the five, now I certainly feel better than I did this time yesterday. But the Mariners have been – they I, I believe them and Cleveland are the only teams who have not had a five-game winning streak or losing streak. And I think that kind of summarizes – where they're at. They just cannot get hot, but they are too good to go too cold, if that makes sense. Like they're always liable to have a game like they had yesterday in New York, but they cannot draw any amount of consistency whatsoever, particularly on offense. And it's maddening. It is one of the more frustrating teams to watch for sure. Would I put them in a shocking a surprise? No, because a lot of the projection systems had them as an 82, 83-win team. And that's kind of what they're headed for. So it sucks. I'm super happy for the Orioles. And I think this could still be a competitive series for sure. But uh, it's, you know, that's kind of where I'm at
1: mentally with the Mariners. So I was around the Mariners last two days at Yankee Stadium. And the vibes are bad. Yeah. Just zipless. There's no bubbles in the the soda, Jordan. Yeah. It's weird. People, a lot of people, and
0: I don't know, I know he was around the team vaguely, but... There is a general sense that the team goes as J.P. Crawford goes, and he's currently injured and just like in a weird place. So that maybe has something to do with it. But yeah, I, I, I mean, well, who am I to tell you that you're wrong? <laughs> like That's how the plays looked on the field. It's nice to get some verification in person. Um, let's take the opportunity now. I mean, of course, we're looking forward to mariners Orioles, but any other series this weekend before we do Good Bad Ugly? I know we normally do this at the end of the Friday episode, but or the other ones before we finish with, with
1: GBU. Oh, good question.
0: So uh, I'm, I'm going to Cincinnati go today, where the Braves, who haven't lost in over a week, and the Reds, who haven't lost in over two weeks, will be facing off uh, AJ smith Shaver against Luke Weaver. AJ smith Shaver born after Joey Vada was drafted, so prepare for that fun fact to show up on the broadcast tonight, <laughs> and or be tweeted at Sussman's BBQ, so prepare for that, uh, but that's certainly a series. I might be going to multiple games, probably just one, so Braves-Reds, obviously, top of the list for me.
1: Rangers-Yankees mm-hmm. will be fun here in New York. Dodgers-Astros showdown of underwhelming juggernauts. Mm-hmm. And then Diamondbacks-Giants showdown of overwhelming minnows.
0: I mean, that's, yeah. I I think D-backs-Giants, <laughs> you just mentioned. I mean, they're both at the top of the division. Could Are the Giants close enough? They are three and a half back, so... I guess if they, you know, swept them, now we're really having a conversation. But D backs have a nice little cushion there. But yeah, I mean those are those <laughs> that's big time. That is no no joke. Those will be be very fun. All right, Jake Mintz. Let's finish up with the good, the bad, the ugla. Why don't you start us off? Uh something good, something bad, something ugla. We do not have anything specifically Dan Ugla this week, as we did with Chelsea Janes. That story was amazing. But the party rolls on. Start us off with something
1: good. Blake Snell. Oh, I have a, you stole it. You stole it. I was gonna do Blake Snell. Go ahead. I have a love-hate relationship with Blake Snell because I love looking at his pitching lines when he's good, and I hate watching him pitch. I really even when he's good, I dislike Blake Snell from a visual experience. Nothing against him. He seems like a perfectly regular individual. Uh, but over the last six starts, he has been electric with Two earned runs in 36 innings, 56 punch-outs. When Blake Snell gets hot and on a roll, no one can touch him. It is a reminder why he won a Cy Young. It is a reminder why he could still be one of the best 10 pitchers in the world at any given time, and why he still might get paid this offseason a little bit as he hits free agency. So I guess I'm happy he's had a strong stretch, even though my disdain for watching him visually remains. Totally fair. Uh I am going to go
0: with the 2022 sorry 2021 Atlanta Braves postseason squad because you know Jorge Soler is back and you know that Jock Peterson is on fire. But did you know that Eddie Rosario has an 1000 a 12 26 OPS in June with 8 home runs? This is not something I was aware of. This man looked about as un, like unimpactful as you could imagine with the Braves, um certainly last year when he was dreadful and then the beginning of this year when it didn't look like it was getting any better but he is the kind of hitter that can certainly heat up as we saw in the postseason, and he has been amazing for Atlanta recently and uh so I'm going to give him some love and
1: I wouldn't be surprised if he homers this weekend the sword swinging bench maniac that is Guillermo Heredia has a 340 batting average in Korea right
0: now yes he has i think 10 homers Oh, <laughs> he's one of the best hitters. I can't remember what team he's on. is he on SSG? Is he on the landers? be Landon? Yeah. That's a good one. Um, so yeah, shout out to the I mean Rosario. It was like they brought him back. I was like, all right, really? Like that's the one you're gonna go with. He was so bad last year. Uh and here he is. He's I mean, he's already been been worthwhile this season to be that good for for that amount of time. All right, what's bad, Jake? Vinny
1: Pasquantino getting surgery is oh, bad. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Friend of the show, Vinny P, tore labrum in his right shoulder. Now, here's a funny story that's also bad. So Vinny, <laughs> the news comes out. I'm going to out myself here, Jordan. This is, this is me being This bad. is a worthy outing considering. The... Yes, go ahead. So it gets announced uh, on Twitter that Vinny Pasquantino is getting surgery on his right shoulder. We are friends with Vinny. I text Vinny. Love you, man. If you need anything, let me know. I know that Vinny had never had a major surgery. I had had a major surgery. If you need any advice or help, whatever, like I want it to be a resource for him. He responded. We were texting a bit. And then I sent him a picture of his baseball savant arm strength rating. Which, by the way, is first percentile. Like Vinny this year has had... You mean the, worst percentile. <laughs> the worst percentile. Like no one in the big leagues has showed off a worse throwing arm than Vinny this year. And so I sent him a picture of that and said, at least now you have an excuse for this. For his bad arm strength. Now here's what Jake Vince, the idiot did not realize. Is that the surgery he's getting is on his non-throwing arm. Oops. And so so mini response. wrong arm, man. Can you imagine this poor guy sitting there? His season's over. He gets a text from some stupid podcaster just fucking dunking on him and his poo-poo throwing arm. So funny. I feel bad about it. So that's
0: yeah, bad. Yeah, that right shoulder surgery is not going to help his left <laughs> arm throwing, throwing uh, strength. So good, so good. Fortunately for you, he's the only person, arguably, who you could make that joke with, survive, get away with it, and still want to tell the story while both being embarrassed and laugh about it. We love you. That
1: is true. Vinny and I are cool. He called me when he was high on happy pills after his surgery, Jordan. Things are fine is the point. It was a very funny phone call. He was like, because I tweeted the picture of him pre-surgery, and he just goes, who is that? You were Jordan? <laughs> like, it was me.
0: It was you. Uh, Vinny, we love you. I <laughs> oh, wouldn't be surprised if Vinny makes an appearance on the show at some point during his rehab. All right. My band this week is Giancarlo Stanton. Jake Mintz. If you recall, before he went on the IL on the second week of April, we were like, holy shit. This dude, like, we have... F- Unfortunately, stupidly forgotten how amazing this guy can be once again. He goes on the IL on April 16th. He is extremely upset about it. Understandably, he's like, Oh my God, I can't stay on the field. This sucks. I'm letting me be on my team. Blah, 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 blah. He comes back on June 2nd and Homer's in Dodger Stadium. And we're like, Oh shit, here we go. John Carlo, Aaron Judge isn't hurt. All is well. Then next day, Aaron Judge gets hurt. Since then, June 4th, John Carlo Stanton is hitting. 89 with one home run and like a 40% strikeout rate. He is four for 45 since June 4th, since Aaron judge went out. That's not going to cut it. If the other big man is on the shelf, uh, it's not breaking news here, but when we talk about what the Yankees offense is and isn't with, with, uh, with Aaron judge away, John Carlos is a huge part of that. And right now he is a huge part of the problem. So Carlos Stan has been bad. Is he capable of going, uh, you know, in Sano mode in the next month? Absolutely. But right now, he has been bad. That is bad.
1: What's your ugla? Jesse Winker and Colton Wong. (laughs) That's a good one. Jesse Winker and Colton Wong were traded for one another over the offseason. Winker going from Seattle to Milwaukee and Wong going the other way from the Brewers to the Mariners. Both of them have absolutely... Freaking sucked. The awesome rare trade in which everyone loses and nobody wins. Wong has an OPS plus of 38 and Winker of 59. So I guess he's been almost twice as good as Wong, if you want to define it that way. The headline here is that before this week, neither of them had homered, which is remarkable. Then Jesse Winker homered on June 20th. Somehow, in Colton Wong's bones, he felt like a, like a voodoo doll buzz and was like, I got a homer now, too. And so Colton Wong hit his first homer of the year on June 22nd, last night, against the New York Yankees. Just the odds of this, right? Like, what are the odds that this happens, like, two days apart? Both of these guys suck, traded for one another let me, let me add to this.
0: What are the odds that Abraham Toro, who was also in that trade, would have homered before both of them in only eight at-bats in the big leagues? <laughs> and his wasn't that long ago either. His was at the end of May. Yeah, it's a great one. It's been one of the biggest mysteries of the Mariners and Brewers seasons, I would say. It was like both teams were like, we really believe we're getting a good bounce back, blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, nope, they both suck. So I know injuries have contributed to some degree, but yikes. Uh, Jake, my ugla this week before we go, and i have to leave in three minutes, is Jack Sawinski. Oh, Jack Sawinski. Jake, what do you know about Jack Sawinski?
1: He's from Chicago. Okay. He swings really hard and hits a lot of home runs.
0: Okay, nice combination there. If you swing really hard and hit a lot of home runs, what are you probably good at? Uh, you hit
1: the ball hard.
0: Well, Say that again? Hitting the ball hard? Yeah. C- close. What direction are you probably normally hitting the ball? Up in the air. Up in the air. Jack Sawinski, as things stand, currently has the second lowest ground ball rate of any hitter in the last 20 years. (laughs) So, And the fun thing about this is just the bottom of this list. We only have a ball and play data, at least on fan graphs, back to 2001, I believe. So it's possible I could look this up farther back. But Jack Sawinski currently running a 22.8% ground ball rate. Joining three players who are, this is the bottom of the list, okay, lowest ground ball rate. Frank Thomas, 2002, Frank Thomas, 2006, Frank Thomas, 2003. You wonder how the Big Hurts hit so many home runs. And then Mike Trout, 2019, Mike Trout, 2020, Rafael Palmeiro, 2002, Brandon Belt, Matt Carpenter, Joey Gallo. It's a great list, but Jack Sawinski is currently at the bottom and I love that. The Caucasian Frank Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's exactly what they call him. Um, that's going to do it for this episode of Baseball BarbaCast. This has been a treat as always. Thank you, Jake Mintz, for joining me. Thank you, Layla Patel, for producing. Chris Tyler will be back next week. But thank you, Jake Mintz. Any final words before we say goodbye? And have to say
1: have a good weekend? Cacophony.
0: Good word. See you on Monday. Bye. Sex M Podcasts.